Thank you so very much, Brother Alfred. Uh, folks in our school of music have so much talent and ability. I do so envy them. I thank them for using it for the Lord and for our benefit. Uh, I'd like for you, by the way, uh, you'll notice that he did it with no score. Uh, you preachers, I want you to learn to preach without notes. And uh, correspondingly, uh, when you make a musical presentation, the right way to do it is without a score. It's worth memorizing and getting in your heart and doing it right as unto the Lord. And uh, if you forget your lines halfway through, just make up something and keep going. But whatever you do, do it without notes. If it's worth doing, it is worth doing right, okay? And I'm going to use a note in just a minute, but I'll show you how to do that in the process. I want to talk to you today about Elijah's mantle, and I'd like for you to turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and uh, I shall read in just a moment beginning in verse 1. Now, by the way, when you are in a pastorate, teach your people to bring their Bibles. Many of you have. And uh, thank you for that. Uh, we can put it on the screen, and that's fine, especially for people as old as I am. And by the way, thank you, Dr. Blazing, for the picture in Germany. I lost 400 pounds for that picture. And uh, so I uh, was grateful for the weight loss. Don't know how I got it all back. But anyway, um, when you, uh, you uh, go to a church, it's fine to use the screen for people that are as old as I am so they can see the big print. But teach your people to be a Bible-bringing church. Uh, they need to have it in a hand, not on their telephone either. Uh, it can be at least one release from the telephone for a short period of time. Have the Bible in hand and teach them to note in it and mark it as they go along. And that's important. Now, you've also got to agree on a translation for your people. That's one of the most difficult things of all because they're sitting out there with no more than 20 translations while you're trying to preach from one. So tell them what you're going to be using. And uh, I normally, when I preach here, use the New King James. And uh, uh, please use one of the good ones, not one of the suspect ones like the NIV. Don't use that. That's no good. And so use a good one. Uh, NASB, uh, TNI, or the uh, uh, New King James, or something of that nature. But tell your people what you're going to be using. That doesn't mean they have to use it, but at least they know, and they can be a part of it. So 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And then Elijah said to Elisha, Tell you what, you stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from, uh, from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Hush. 
And uh, Elijah said to him, Elijah, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, no, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And so he answered, yes, I know it. Be quiet. And then Elijah said to him, you stay here because the Lord has sent me to Jordan, uh, to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets who went with them stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water with it so that it divided this way and that, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was that when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, all right, you just insist on staying with me. Well, ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit rest on me. And he said, you have asked a very difficult thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they were continuing on and they talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by way of a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. And so he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah, which had fallen from him, and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha passed over. And when the sons of the prophets who were with them from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. To what have you come? Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. A school, yes, we have to call it that because we have to meet the demands of the accrediting association. And I suppose it is what the churches understand. But the truth of the matter is the president doesn't see it that way and our professors don't see it that way. We do the work of a school, but this is a different kind of a school. It's a school that began in the days of Samuel, the first of the prophets of God in the Old Testament. It is called here in the text, the school of the prophets. These were men who gathered together to think together theologically and to pray and to see how it was that the law of God related to their lives and the lives of others on a daily basis. 
that we think that extension education is a new thing. But you'll notice that everywhere they went, there was an extension of the School of the Prophets. There was one at Bethel. And then when they went to uh, uh, Jericho, there was one there. Everywhere they went, there was an extension campus of the original School of the Prophets. And these had gathered together. Yet in these schools, there is the recognition that some people are being greatly used of God in a way that others are not yet ready to be used. I don't know about you, but I can look back on my early life and recount the ministers that had an impact on me beyond anything I could ever tell you. There was, of course, my father, T.A. Patterson, who was a genuine man of God in every way. And he impacted my life as I began to develop in the school of the prophets that met at my house. He regularly had other prophets in who spoke to our church and invariably he would have them to the house for a meal. And I was not to be absent from those meals. I was assigned a place at the table. I often wondered why since the topic of pneumatology didn't seem real relevant to me at age six or whatever. But then I realized that my father was doing that on purpose, that he wanted me to learn at their feet. In those days, Dr. Wayne Ward came from Southern Seminary and spoke at our church and invested time and effort in me. There was a Hispanic evangelist by the name of Angel Martinez, who was a most remarkable individual in a day of drab clothing where everybody wore white shirts and black suits. Angel Martinez would show up in a pair of black slacks, but he might have a chartreuse coat on or a pink coat on or a gold coat on. And so it was very interesting for us young people to be there to hear him. But on top of that, Angel had memorized the entire New Testament and much of the old. And so before going into the service at night, we used to sit in the office with him and I would say, um, Brother Martinez, what does Acts 15, 8 say? I just knew I could catch him. And invariably, he would quote Acts 15, 8 and quote it correctly. It was an amazing thing to watch. And he left an investment in my life that I could never, ever, ever repay him for. And when it wasn't uh, one of those two men, it was Max Morris, uh, an evangelist who later fell, unfortunately. But he was the one that convinced me that wanting to be an evangelist, I didn't need to check my mind, that I needed to study hard. And by the time I was 13 years old, he already had me reading heavy books on the atonement of Christ so that I might understand that thoroughly and so forth and so on. I could stand up here and give you a list of the prophets that made an investment in my life. Whatever little bit I may amount to for the Lord today can be found in those men who invested in me. There is a reason to go to the school of the prophets. Now, some men say today that they don't need that. And very presently, they will demonstrate that they do need that. 
There is nobody that is ready. In fact, the Bible cautions against ordaining a man to the ministry or calling a man to the ministry uh, who is a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride. And when others come to him for various kinds of advice in his pride, he misleads them and causes their abuse. You have done wisely to come to the Southwestern School of the Prophets. And here we are to learn much more than facts about serving God or about the Gospels or what have you. Here you have professors who love the Lord. There isn't a professor on this campus that could not make a great deal more money in a pastorate who could not do a lot better for himself and his family if he would go to a secular institution to teach and maybe even some other religious institutions. But he or she has chosen to invest their lives here in you. They have chosen to do that really because God made it apparent to them that this was their calling. And then he has called you here. Make everything you can of every moment in the school of the prophets. We see that in this text. Elijah is now an old man. He is without a doubt the head of the school of the prophets. But he's not long for this world. Something's about to happen to remove him. And one of his protégés is this man, Elisha. And you'll notice that Elisha sticks to him as closely as he can. So Elijah says to him, listen, I have got to make a journey and I want you to stay here. So he said, I am I'm going to go to Bethel and so you stay here. But Elisha says, no, indeed. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. The Spirit of God let Elisha know that something very significant was about to happen. Indeed, he knew that Elijah was going to leave. Now, it must have been preposterous in a way because Elijah didn't seem that decrepit. He seemed to be pretty much full of life still. And so it must have been odd to Elisha to think of him going, but God impressed it upon him. And so he stayed with him. Whenever you have the opportunity to be around a great saint of God, whether that be a preacher or a lay person who's about to move out into eternity, you have the opportunity to be with them. You take advantage of that opportunity. You say, oh no, death bothers me. And when a man's dying, I, I don't want to be anywhere close to him. Listen, you better be close to him. You might be there to hear his last words. And oftentimes his last words are some of the most significant things he says in all of life. And after all, how a man dies tell you, tells you a lot about the authenticity of how he lived. And so if you get the opportunity, be around that man. I won't charge you for that counsel. A lot of you are thinking how you can avoid it. Be around that man when he comes to the point of death and hear what he has to say. Elisha says, I'm staying with you. Well, he says, no, I've got to go down to Jericho. You stay here and care for the school of the prophets here. He said, no, don't believe so. As the Lord lives, as my soul lives, you're going to Jericho, I'm going to Jericho. And so they go to Jericho. Now the Jordan River flows just to the uh, 
uh, east of the city of Jericho. It's not far out there, but he says, I'm going to walk out to the Jordan River. God has sent me to the Jordan. You stay here with school of the prophets. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go with you out there uh, to the Jordan. And so the two of them go out to the Jordan. They come to the Jordan River and Elijah takes his mantle from off of his shoulders and folds it together and he strikes the water and it stands up on either side. Now what in the world is it that Elisha wants to stay so close to him? What is it that he thinks he's learning? Number one, he is learning how to pray. You say, I know how to pray. I, I've said grace over my food uh, ever since I was a little kid. Listen, let me tell you what. There is prayer that is of a general nature that is practiced by just about everybody that claims to be religious. Indeed, prayer is seen by the general writing public to be the essence of religion. But I will tell you the truth. There is all the difference in the world in a man that really knows how to pray. In my very first pastorate out in West Texas, I had good people and they knew how to pray, but I had one dear old deacon who was 85 years of age when I went to that church. And I made it a habit to go by his house every week that I possibly could. And he would say, glad to have you preacher. Let's walk out and sit by the well. He had no running water in his house, just a well. We'd go out and sit on the side of the well, and he would talk for a few minutes, and then he would say, let's pray. I wouldn't have taken anything in the world for what I learned from that dear old aged deacon about coming into the presence of God. When he began to pray, it was as though the heavens opened and we were suddenly transported into the presence of God. And I suddenly realized that while I'd prayed all my life, I had never learned to pray. That's what the disciples had in mind when they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They knew how to pray. They grew up in good Jewish households. They knew exactly what to do. Oh, but there's all the difference in the world in learning how to lay hold upon the ankles of God and pray to him. You don't know how to pray yet. Many of you, most of you, you got to learn how to pray. And Elisha knew the more time he spent with Elijah, the more he would understand about how to pray. Well, not only did he want to learn how to pray, but he wanted to learn how to respond to people. He had watched Elijah do this time and again. He had watched how Elijah handled people. Let me tell you what, the school of the prophets here is not about textual criticism. You're going to learn that. It's not about historical criticism. You're going to learn that. But it is above all else about how to relate to people in a way that makes a difference to them spiritually. People are stumbling in darkness. It is worse now than it has ever been in my life. I see it everywhere, confusion. And it's good in one way. There is more openness to the gospel today on the part of the average man than there has ever been. Because everything else he has tried has turned to cardboard and it doesn't fill his stomach, his spiritual stomach with the word of God. 
Man shall live by every word of the Lord, so said Jesus. And so is our mission to this world. And so to learn how to respond to people. He needed to learn how uh, to teach and to preach. And that he learned from listening to Elijah. So he hung on his every word. May I urge you, while you were here at the School of the Prophets, get you a prophet or two. They're normally called professors. But get you a prophet or two and hang on to them. Be a pest. Stay there every second you possibly can. Let him pour his life into you or let her pour her life into you, young ladies. Let them give you everything that God has given them along the line. It's been passed down ever since Samuel. And we continue to do it until this very day. You can't do it in a classroom alone. You can learn some things in a classroom. But let me tell you, it's when you walk into the coffee shop with the prof. It's when you're standing out there or sitting down on one of those benches on the campus. It's when you're going with that prof out to preach somewhere. I tell you, there's no end to what you will learn and experience and get of the presence of God. And Elisha knew that very well. Well, finally, they come to Jordan, and everybody's lined up there waiting to see what's going to happen. And they come to the Jordan River, and Elijah takes his mantle, and he hits the Jordan, and it parts. Uh, something about God that he really likes that miracle. Uh, he did it a whole bunch of times in the Bible. And so the waters part, and they walk across on dry land. And finally, Elijah looks at Elisha. And he says, you are a problem. I cannot get rid of you. Now, there are all kinds of ideas about why he so much wanted to get rid of him. One of them is that there was a desire for solitude in his final hours. I, I think that's understandable, but I doubt it's true. A second one is that he had humility concerning the miracle and his translation. And I kind of doubt that too. A third one is he had a desire to test Elisha's fidelity and faithfulness. And I think that's probably true. And this was a solemn pageant uh, that was designed to show Elisha and his followers the power of God. That may be so too. We don't really know the exact reason, but now he says, I just can't get rid of you, so I'm going to ask you one question. Why are you hanging on to my coattails? Why can I not get rid of you? Why are you staying with me? What is it that you want from me? And Elisha said, I thought you would never ask. I want your position of prestige in front of all the other prophets. Never entered his mind. I want to have a salary like you have. Never occurred to him. I want to have the reputation that you have among men today. Well, that was on its way, but he couldn't have been less concerned about it. Instead, Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. You see, in walking with Elijah, he had observed something that is strategically important. He had found out and he had figured out, and he had had it revealed to him 
that the secret of Elijah's power was the presence of Almighty God. Now, let me tell you, young people, you can learn to do the ministry and do it without God. But you will never be a great prophet of God until the Spirit of God descends on your ministry. As my pastor of years ago said about a famous preacher, he was so good, he was so brilliant that he learned he could do it on his own and he no longer needed God. And that was his downfall. And if I were to tell you the name of that preacher, some of you would know exactly who I'm talking about, and it's exactly true. Only thing to keep you solid to the end, the only thing that will give you insight into the situation, the only thing that will make it possible for you to proclaim the word of the Lord and do more than you have studied for in your study is the powerful presence of the Spirit of God. Young people, would you learn one thing today? If you don't get anything else, would you get it down loud and clear? You cannot be a prophet of God without the Spirit of God. You can be a spokesman, but you'll never be a prophet of God without the anointing of the Spirit of God. Elisha knows that. And he says, oh, my father, that I could have a double portion of your spirit. Elijah said, you have asked the most difficult thing you could have asked. And it shall be granted to you if you see me when I go. But if you don't see me, it won't be so. Now you can rest assured that from that moment on, Elisha never took his eyes off Elijah. He kept him in full view. And so it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of God and the horsemen thereof. Elisha picked up the mantle that had fallen from Elijah's shoulders. And he walked back to the Jordan River. You see, it wasn't a feeling he had. There was apparently no particular feeling. A feeling is an emotion. Emotions come, emotions go. There's no sign. That God is in it. 
he has seen Elijah go up. And he knows that the double portion is upon him, but even he must now test it. And with the mantle of Elijah in his hand, he walks to the waters of the Jordan and he looks heavenward and he cries out, where is the God of Elijah? And he strikes the Jordan. And the waters go that way and that way. And Elisha walks across the Jordan River with a double portion of Elijah's spirit upon him. And I want you to look at one last thing this morning. And that is, in that final verse, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, God showed them. And they said, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. You're not going to need anybody to announce it when God's spirit is upon you. When you're anointed with the spirit of God, you don't need to make an announcement about that. If you make an announcement about it, he'll probably leave you. And so if you want the power of the spirit of God to rest upon you, and he does rest upon you, the people will know it. The people in your church may not know how to describe it. They may say all kinds of things, but if you listen closely, what they're saying is, my pastor has a lot of talent and ability, but what he's doing is not in the power of God. And tragically, that is most. We're celebrating the Reformation. There's a lot of it about which you'll never hear. Jacob Hutter, the Anabaptist, was taken in 1536, and because the Spirit of God rested upon him powerfully, and thousands of people were coming to him to hear the message of Christ, it was decreed that he would pay for his preaching with death. I read you a passage from the Hutterite Chronicle today that was given following his death, which occurred on February the 25th, 1536. This from the Hutterite Chronicle, quote, the priests in their evil vindictive passion thought that they would try to drive the devil out of him. So they had him dipped in ice cold water and then taken into a hot room where he was beaten with rods. They lacerated his body and then poured brandy into the wounds and then set them on fire and let it burn. They tied his hands and his feet and gagged him again so that he could not denounce their wickedness. Then they put a plumed hat on his head and took him into the house of their idols, that is their churches, because they knew how much he detested it. And so they mocked and ridiculed him in every way they could think of. A heroic fighter for Christ, 
he was unwavering in his faith. Therefore, he was sentenced to death. And after suffering much at the hands of evil men, the, board, uh, the brood of Caiaphas and Pilate, he was burned alive at the stake. As he was being led to the fire, he said, quote, Now come here, all you disputers, and let us prove our faith in the fire. The fire will not harm my soul any more than the fiery furnace harmed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gave his life because the Spirit of God rested upon him. And the converts following his death were greater than those who had come to Christ during his lifetime. You're going to come to an end someday. And people will remember you and some may even write about you. What they write about you, what they say about you, will depend on whether or not you have had the Spirit of God resting upon you. Don't try to do this on your own. It's bankruptcy. Do it only in the power of the Spirit of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for every kindness of God upon us. Thank you for this wonderful story from God's Word. And Lord, may we learn from this that we must be anointed with the Spirit of God. Anything less is sure failure. But may we learn that it is the triumph of Elijah being taken to heaven to walk in the power of the Spirit in whose name we pray, amen.